Well, good morning, good morning. So good to see all of you all on this beautiful Sunday morning. Good to see so many faces here, and thankful if you are joining with us online this morning. It's good to see you uh, in both places. Uh, I know I can't see you online, but prayerfully you are watching with us, and thankful if you were a visitor with us this morning that you are here joining with us at Mint Hill. I'd ask you all to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 30. We're going to pick back up where we were a couple of weeks ago, continuing to look at our study of Philippians. And while you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. First of which is this, is uh, Sunday school has returned. I have to tell you how amazing it was over this past hour, 945 to 1045, to hear this hallway upstairs filled with life. Uh, It has been 13 months since there was noise in that hallway. And it was so amazing as uh, many of our even adult classes had to meet up there for space reasons. But so excited to have our Sunday school classes back together. If you would like to be a part of that, next Sunday, 945, we have two classes that meet downstairs. Keith Horn's class, which is uh, uh, all adults. And then we have Ms. Joyce's class for senior adults that meet in their traditional spots. Most all of our other classes are meeting upstairs on the second floor, and that's uh, everything from elementary all the way up to adults. Now, one thing in your bulletin you will see, Brother Don Porter is teaching our Hill and our Joy class, and that's our most senior saints. And in your bulletin it says he's meeting right here in the sanctuary. Actually, he's meeting in the fellowship hall. So if you would like to be a part of that, that's uh, where they are meeting next week. But what a joy to have those classes back together and looking forward to see what the Lord will do in that. Also tonight at 6.30 p.m. we will have our monthly prayer meeting. And I know that that seems like um, sometimes folks feel like that's a time to, to not be here, but boy, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray together as a church. So tonight at 6.30, Brother Vern's going to lead us through our prayer meeting. Uh, So you will want to be a part of that. And then Senior Adult Bingo is this Tuesday at 10 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. So love to see you all there. Well, this past week was a wonderful week. We had an opportunity right after Easter to go on vacation and celebrate our 20th anniversary, get down to the beach, and Lord blessed us with a beautiful week. And I know it was even beautiful up here in uh, Charlotte. Uh, The Caps were down at the beach, and we got to have breakfast with them. Uh, They were one island over, so five minutes away. Uh, So that was a neat thing to be able to uh, share that time with them. But while we were down there, I've got two important prayer requests that came through. I want to share those with you. So as a church, we can be praying. First of which is for Brother Mark Rosenberg. That's Virginia Rosenberg's son. Uh, Brother Mark has been going through a very tough time. He's had uh, an an infection in his foot uh, that uh, has spread to his blood. And for the next six weeks, he is undergoing treatment for that with some very high-powered antibiotics. But found out on Wednesday that not only is he dealing with that, but he has COVID as well and pneumonia on top of that. So please be in prayer for Brother Mark. Uh, We have a meal train going for Miss Virginia. You can find that on our Facebook page to sign up for that. And also Lisa Rooker. Uh, You all know Sister Lisa. She's been having a very hard time for the past two years with pancreatic issues that have extended into how she receives uh, nutrients in her body. And she had a massive surgery on Thursday where they even took a portion of her stomach. So she is in recovery right now. Uh, So please be in prayer for her that perhaps the Lord wills that this surgery would be successful and that she would be able to uh, eat and, and, and gain weight and be able to be amongst us again. Well, that being said, as we turn our attention to the Scripture today, 
over the past few weeks, as we've been going through Philippians, we have uh, been dealing with really a major theme that Paul has been laying out ever since chapter 1, verse 27, where he tells us to live as worthy citizens of heaven. Just kind of a, a, a quick primer as we come to where we are today. What Paul has done is laid before us how we should act in both unity and humility, both in the culture and in the church. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, he's saying we need to be unified and humble and together as we step out into a hostile world. Then in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, he says we need to humbly serve one another inside the church. And verse 3 is really one of the thesis statement almost of this section, which is do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And that theme has carried through as he came to verses 5 and 11 of chapter 2, which is the Christ hymn. And he showed for us the great example of Jesus Christ who humbled himself as a servant on earth and humbled himself even to the point of death and then is highly exalted where every knee will bow and every tongue confessed. And then finally, on Palm Sunday, as we came to verses 12 through 18, what we saw is this. Paul began to close this thought by saying, work out your salvation. What he meant by this is work out what God has worked in. Exercise the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Exercise that gift of unity and humility and service both in the church for one another and outside the church in the community so that the world, this perverse generation, he says, will see your shining light and see Jesus Christ through you. And so today, as we come to verses 19 through 30, we have what seems to be an odd aside. It almost looks like this doesn't belong here. And some biblical scholars have said that this proves that Philippians was actually cobbled together from multiple letters because we have a recommendation out of the blue. Paul recommends Timothy to the church, and he also recommends to Epaphroditus that they would receive him back. But the reality of it is this. As he closes this thought on be humble and serve one another, what he's really doing here is he is offering two men as flesh and blood examples that the Philippian church would know to say these men exercise the gift of Christ in service and see them, and then you also do what they are doing. So with that being said, if you have found Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and you are able, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It says this, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. 
But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to be gathered in your house and to worship together. Now, Lord, I pray as you have set before us two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who 2,000 years ago were an example to the Philippian church, Father, I pray that they would today be an example for us. Lord, that we would see what it is to have a genuine interest and a genuine service to our brothers and our sisters. Father, that we would do so without hypocrisy. Father, that we would do so in the blessed name of Christ. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to truly be humble servants of one another. Lord, there is so much here. Lord, I need you to speak it. And Father, move me out of the way so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. One of the side effects of having Sunday school is that in the 830 service, I had 15 more minutes to preach. And boy, howdy, did I use all of that. So uh, I, I'm going to have to get used to uh, different things, breaking off the rust in different ways. And so I, I'm going to work very hard not to uh, bombard you in the same way because there's so much in the text today and really could have broken this into two sermons. But I saw that there was a unity between these two men. And a theme, I think, that Paul is trying to share with us. And so there are three things that I would like to point out from the text today. The first of which is this, a genuine interest in others. A genuine interest in others. And we find that in, this, in Timothy, as Paul is recommending Timothy to the church in Philippi. And as he does so, he's saying, I desire to send Timothy to you because they would know Timothy. Timothy was present with Paul when the Philippian church was founded back in Acts 16. And really what Paul is saying here is that Timothy is really the next best thing to Paul, that he can go and he can attend to their needs and also bring back great news to Paul so that he can be overjoyed. And we might even be hearing in some of this text, as Paul is saying, as I wait to find out what's going to happen to me and I'm going to send Timothy to you, that as we saw earlier that he's saying that he's going to be poured out like a drink offering, it may, very, it may yet be that Paul is seeing that he may be close to death and that as he sends Timothy, he, he desires in Christ Jesus the hope and the expectation that if the Lord wills it, he will make it back to Philippi. But if not, he's going to send Timothy. And he tells us the three reasons why he's sending Timothy to the Philippian church. And I'm going to kind of go through them backwards. The first of which is this. We see in verse 22, he says, but you know his proven character. So he's sending Timothy back to the Philippian church because of his proven 
character. Now, that's an interesting phrase because Paul uses this elsewhere in his letters and specifically in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. He says, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. So what he's really saying here is that Timothy, you all know him, he's been on the front lines with me. And as he has been on the front lines serving with me, he has faced a great many afflictions. And as he has faced those afflictions, even though he is young, he has stood up to them, and those afflictions have produced endurance. He's able to run this race. And through that endurance, proven character. So not only do you, O church in Philippi, recognize Timothy's good, proven character, but others who have been ministered to by Timothy see that as well. And through that proven character comes a hope in Timothy that will be infectious to the people of Philippi. So Timothy has proven himself a proven character. And I think that's important for us to hear as we take in and hear the example of Timothy, how we too prove our character before the Lord, and especially as we serve others. So Timothy has a proven character, but he also has a like-mindedness with Paul. Verse 20, he says, for I have no one else like-minded, no one else like-minded, and what's interesting, that word like-minded in the Greek literally translates to of equal soul. Only Timothy is of the same soul that I am. Only Timothy is committed to the church in the same way that I am. In fact, he says that Timothy is like a son to him, like a son serving the father. And this is a phrase he uses about Timothy in his other letters, that Timothy's devotion not only to the cause of Christ, but his devotion in serving alongside Paul has transcended a mentor and a mentee. It has become a spiritual son and a spiritual father. And this is how important Timothy is to Paul, and in turn shows us how much Paul cares for the Philippians. Because in this great time of turmoil for Paul, Paul is saying, I'm going to send to you this man who is a son to me, that in my great need, I would rather send him to you for your great need. And so it shows the depth of service that Timothy has towards Paul and his like-mindedness in Christ. And he is also by this moves to the third thing, the where I want to camp out, his proven character, his like-mindedness, but Timothy's genuine interest in others. So when Paul says to the church in Philippi, I'm sending Timothy because he will have a genuine interest in you, he's also saying because I have a genuine interest in you. Notice again in verses 20 and 21, look at this very difficult phrase that I think it's important for us to hear this morning. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
So Timothy has a genuine interest in others. That's the key takeaway. I'm going to come back to this second phrase where he says that all others seek their own interest. But he's saying, first of all, that Timothy will genuinely care for the Philippian church. He will genuinely be concerned about what they're concerned about. And that word genuine is so important. That word genuine means a sincerity in his service. And if you recall, a few weeks ago, I was talking about that metaphor and how the word sincere came about in our language, and it grew along a, a, a metaphor for the, uh, that came from the Latin of sine sera, which means without wax. And it was talking about a broken vessel that would be covered in wax to try to cover up its flaws and its cracks, and that it, you'd be sold something that wasn't sincere because it would leak later because of all that wax was there, and that if you wanted to know what you were buying was genuine and it would hold water and it wouldn't break on you, they would put the sign Sinesera on it to say it was without wax. He's saying this is what Timothy is. There are no falsehoods in his service. There are no falsehoods in his interest for you. And so what he's saying is Timothy exemplifies Verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. He's saying when Timothy comes to you, he is going to serve you, not because I sent him, but because he loves Jesus. And in his love for Jesus, he will love you like Jesus loves you, and it will be genuine, and he will care. But then that brings us to that second phrase that he has in verse 21. He's genuine, but there are others who are not genuine. There are others who seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting when he says that, he says, all seek their own interest. When he says all, is he talking about every single person that he's ever met? including individuals like Luke and Silas and all the others? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's what he means here. I think what he's saying is that here he is in Rome, and there's a church that's forming in Rome, and it's growing, and people are coming to see him. But of all those that he has access to, only Timothy is showing the true humility of a servant of Christ. And that's an indictment that we need to hear. Because why he's saying they're all brothers and sisters to me, it is only Timothy that actually genuinely has Christ-like interest in others. So what he's really saying here is the problem that he's been writing to the Philippians about over these past few verses, humility and service to one another, is not a problem that only is found in the Philippian church. Is a problem that's found in the church at Rome. And we can hear some of this echo as we've seen it earlier in chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to what he says about some of the preachers that are in Rome. He said, The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not with a genuine heart, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. He said, Within this culture of Christianity in Rome, there are a great many who are putting on a mask. They're not sincere in their care. They're doing it not for 
how they can serve others, but for how Jesus can serve them, how they can be made great, how their interest can be served. He's saying, when I send Timothy to you, I'm not sending him so that he can get an attaboy from me. I'm not sending him so that he can get down there and make his name famous. I'm sending him because Timothy will fade away and Jesus Christ will be made greater in your midst. He said, there are others that I can send to you and they're going to make a name for themselves. And, And see, this is so important because we've just come out of Easter. We've just come out of Palm Sunday. And if you recall on Palm Sunday, so many were laying palm leaves at the feet of Jesus Christ. Why? Because here was a man that served them. Here was a man that healed them. Here was a man that filled their bellies. And when he didn't do that anymore and he said, you serve others, they didn't want him. They wanted a Jesus that served them and made them great. They didn't want a Jesus that asked them to do the same. So many are in the Christian life because they want Jesus to make them great. And what Paul is saying here is that Timothy is sincere in his care so that Jesus is made great in your midst. And I think there's an example of this. If you look at Paul's writing, maybe an example of of someone that's the anti-Timothy. And his name is Demas. See, Demas is mentioned three times in Paul's letters. Twice he's mentioned as a companion of Paul's, someone to be respected. But the third time he's mentioned, he's actually writing to Timothy. It's later in his life, maybe around about the same time as his letter to the Philippians, soon thereafter, because he's seeing that his life may be coming to an end. And as he writes to Timothy, he speaks again of Demas. And he says this in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, the one who has been with Paul in his other letters, Demas, the one that has been essentially recommended, Paul now says, Demas is gone. Why? Because all this time, that Demas was saying he was serving the church, Demas was serving himself. And when you serve yourself, the world becomes very attractive. He said the world became too attractive to Demas. And he saw a Jesus that would make Demas famous. He didn't see a Demas that would make Jesus famous. And so Demas left. And this should be a warning to us all that what Paul is saying in Timothy, I have found a man who genuinely has the interest of others at heart. He genuinely serves in a Christ-like manner. He is genuinely humble. All of his thoughts turn to others. But the warning for us to hear, O church, and for us to hold in our hearts, he said there are a great many more who 
who are brothers and sisters in the church who really have their own interest at heart. And they do not have the interest of others. They say they do, but they don't. So I think what we're hearing in this is a warning, both an encouragement and a warning. Be a Timothy. Don't be a Demas. Prove your character by serving others. So that's the first thing we see in the text this morning is a genuine interest in others, not a falsehood, a genuine interest in others. But the second thing I want you to see as we transition now to a second man by the name of Epaphroditus is a genuine ministry to others, a genuine ministry to others. Look at verse 25 as he introduces Epaphroditus. He says, but I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs. So here we're introduced to a man named Epaphroditus. And as we've already seen as we read the full text, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to Paul. He was their messenger. He carried with him the gift, the monetary gift that the Philippian church gave to Paul to sustain him in his imprisonment. But not only did Epaphroditus bring the gift, Epaphroditus was the gift. A man come to serve Paul, a leader in their church. And, and the reality is it showed that the Philippian church cared enough about Paul to send one of their very best. But something happened along the way, and Epaphroditus became sick. And we'll cover that more in a moment. But here, Paul commends Epaphroditus in verse 25 in five ways. He starts by saying, he is my brother, which is to say he is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He is a brother of mine in the shed blood of Jesus, a true believer. As you go through Paul's letter, that's one of the greatest compliments that can be paid. And it also sets the tone for interaction one with another that at the foot of the cross, we are all equal, made brothers and sisters in Christ. So a true believer, and he also says a co-worker, not a man who has come and sat down and did nothing, but a man who has come into this presence and that he is working with Paul. So he is co-laboring with Paul for the cause of Christ in Rome. So a man who is already putting his shoulder to the plow, and trying to encourage and build the church inside of the Roman capital. And he says, thirdly, he is a soldier. Here's a man who is a warrior on the spiritual realm. This is a man who is standing side by side with Paul. That's what he's implying by this, is that here is a man who has linked arms with me, and he's doing battle against the forces of Satan that he's holding up the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. This man is a prayer warrior. This man is a fierce battler against Satan and his minions on the spiritual plane who is praying for the souls of those in Rome that they would come to know Christ and doing so side by side with Paul. But then he shifts from that. And he says, this man that you've sent me, he is a messenger and a minister to me. Those are two very interesting words that Paul uses right there. First of which, he is a messenger. 
In Greek, that's apostolos, where you can already hear the word apostle in that. So what's being said is that you've sent Epaphroditus as an apostle to me, the apostle Paul. And he has brought with him good tidings, good news of what's happening in Philippi. But not only that, you've sent me a man equipped to preach and to teach and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ here in Rome. But it's that fifth commendation that Paul gives that I want to focus on. He is a minister to my needs. A minister to my needs. That word minister is letergos, where we get liturgy from. And really what it means is this, is a holy work of caring. Hear that. This minister is a holy work of caring. It's where we get our term minister from. You've been in enough churches to know. You've heard sometimes on staff, you've heard of a a fellow pastor called a minister, minister of music, a minister of families, a minister. And that's exactly what's being said here, is that Epaphroditus was commended by Paul because he cared for Paul's physical needs, but more importantly, he cared for Paul's spiritual needs. He saw Paul as his spiritual mission. And he says that he has helped me so much. In verse 30, he says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Oh, Philippian church, I know you have cared about me, but you're hundreds of miles away. And you've sent me this man who will care for my spiritual needs. Now think about that. The apostle Paul is saying thank you for sending in my presence a man who will attend to me spiritually. A man who is concerned about my spiritual well-being in the same way that I am concerned about others. This man has not only taken care of my wounds, of the chains that are around my wrists, this man preaches to my heart. This man lifts me up to the throne of Christ. What an amazing thing to be said about Epaphroditus. And what an encouragement for us. See, when we think of the word minister, or we think of the word ministry, what we think of is someone who is paid to do it inside of a church. Or we think of a deacon. But I'd hazard to say that you may not think of yourself as a minister. And what Paul is saying here is that this man has been sent into his presence as a minister. And friends, we are all called to be ministers. It's not just for the ordained. It's for us all. And what he's saying in this ministry is this. How do we apply that to our own lives? A minister cares for, in a holy way, the needs of others. They see a need and, like Jesus Christ, meets the needs. And as he's saying before, it's not done in a hypocritical way. It's done out of a care and a mercy for those who are in need. 
So not to say, oh, someone is in the hospital, send the pastor. Oh, someone needs food, send the deacon. No, they have a need. I will send myself. I'm called to minister genuinely to my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just for the ordained. It's for us all. And we are to help the help born of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we can see when we minister to others, it's our spiritual act of worship. Say, I will help. I will help them. So we've seen already in Timothy that we are to have a genuine interest in others. We see now through Epaphroditus, a genuine ministry to others. And then now at the end, the third point I want to bring to you is this, a genuine concern for others, a genuine concern for others. So Epaphroditus is ministering unto Paul, and Paul says, I need to send him back. Why? Because he became deathly ill three times, he says here in the text. Epaphroditus became sick, and twice he says he nearly died from this illness. And this illness was so bad that word made it back to Philippi that Epaphroditus was sick. Now, so what has occurred in this is Epaphroditus has made it, and he's serving alongside Paul, but then something happens, and we don't know what that something is. But whatever it is, Epaphroditus is knocked down to the point where he's about to die. And Paul is now concerned about the very life of his friend and the one who's been ministering to him that he may pass away. And, and the word traveled even as slowly as word travels in those days back to Philippi that brother Epaphroditus is nearly dead serving in Rome. And so there's a great concern of Paul, but here's what's amazing in this. Notice what verse 26 says. It says, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, in the midst of Epaphroditus' sickness, in the midst of him about to die, who was he thinking of? Not of himself. He was thinking of his brothers and sisters back in Philippi. This is a man whose energy is turned so much towards service that he's not worrying that he's going to die. He's worried about what his fellow believers back in Philippi are worried about. He is sharing their burden in the midst of his own sickness. And how do we know this? Because that word in verse 26, he said he was distressed is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here, and the only other two times it's used are in the Gospels and supplied to Jesus Christ when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was distressed. This is an agony, a soul anguish. It is the most intense word that can be used in the Greek to express concern and depression. So Epaphroditus is ministering to others, thinking of others in Philippi during his own time of need. And this only comes from the mind of Jesus Christ, the one who has adopted the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And so he desperately wanted to assure his brothers and his sisters, his countrymen, that he was okay. And so as Paul is writing to them, he says, by God's grace... He's healed. Now, what's interesting in that is we've seen that Paul has had the ability to heal in the past, but not Epaphroditus. 
Epaphroditus' sickness was there and designed to give glory to God. And only God healed Epaphroditus. And so when Epaphroditus is able to make it home, the joy of his countrymen would resound and he would be able to send word back to Paul on the joy that everyone had. And Paul said, I will be so thankful because my sorrow was going to be multiplied if he died. I have sorrow for those who attack me. I have sorrow because I'm in jail. But if he would have died, this minister to my needs, my sorrow would have been multiplied. But I'm thankful, thankful that he is well. And then he closes his, this section by saying this. Here's a man who has a genuine ministry and a genuine concern, and this is what he says. Verse 29, Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. He's saying this man proved his character. He served me, and he was concerned about you when he was about to die. These men... We honor them because they have served in such a Christ-like manner, even unto the point of death. And so he commends us even today, church, those who serve in such a way, we should hold in high honor. For they have given of themselves unto the Lord. In the same way Christ Jesus suffered on our behalf, these men suffer as well. And so, church, there are men and women today, some of whom you may never know their name on this side of heaven, who are right now suffering for the cause of Christ, who have given up their own interests for the interest of the church. Think of those who are in China, those who are in other countries right now who are under the point of death, will not give up thinking about the needs of others to the point where they may die. And church, we need to honor those who serve in this way. Why? So that we see an example in life of the way we too should live. Paul is saying, let us be like Epaphroditus, so transformed by Jesus that we are always concerned about others, even in our own time of need. So those are the three things I wanted you to see today. A genuine interest in others, a genuine ministry to others, and a genuine concern for others. And so as we close, I offer this. This is a time of self-examination. Remember, Paul said to work out our salvation. Work out what God has worked in. And he's given us such a harsh sentence when he speaks about Timothy. He's the only one I know that has a genuine interest in others. All the others are interested only in themselves and not in Christ Jesus. Oh, church, and I say this for myself, we need to take a moment right now and work out our salvation. We need to look inside and see Am I serving in this way? Is my interest in others genuine? Or am I doing it out of duty? Am I doing it out of desire for praise? Am I doing it begrudgingly? Or am I doing it because I genuinely want to serve others? Because the cross of Christ 
has replaced my heart. I've not added it to. This is that time, oh church. Vern's going to come up in just a moment, and he's going to sing a closing song, a song we should all worship with together. But I invite you in this time, examine yourself. If there is any hidden corner of pride, any hidden corner of hypocrisy, give it over to the Lord. Turn it over to him. I say, may I serve, not with my own interest in mind, but only with the interest of my brother and sister. And it may be that you are here today, and as you are examining yourself, you say, I am not the Lord's. He's moving in your midst. So we sing, you come forward and share that with me. I would love to share with you the riches of Jesus Christ and how you can be saved. You may want to join this fellowship. You come forward and do that this morning as well. But let's pray. And Vern, you come and lead us in worship. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray in all of our hearts, oh Lord, lay them bare before you. And Lord, if there be any hidden agenda, Father, if there be even in our hearts irritation that we are to serve, if there be anything that would cause us to not be ministers to others, that would cause us to not have genuine care, oh Lord, I pray that you would slay it from us. Lord, move in our midst, change our hearts. Father, we live in a perverted and wicked generation. And, oh, Lord, if the selfishness of this world creeps into us, what hope do we have? Father, the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. Father, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate each one of us, break us, consume us, change us, so that, Father, we may be Timothys and Epaphroditus and not Demas. Only you can do this. And Father, I pray that you would. I pray this in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you please stand as we sing?